Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. In late May, a confrontation between Indian and Chinese soldiers in a remote border region of the Himalayas descended into what appears to be a massive fistfight. Details of the incident are somewhat sketchy, but most accounts describe a giant brawl between as many as 100 soldiers. No shots were fired, no one was killed, but soon after the fight, India and China mobilized heavy guns and artillery to the region, threatening a major escalation of hostilities between two regional heavyweights. It was the worst security crisis between the two countries in years. Since then, tensions seem to have calmed. Military commanders from both sides met on June 7th, and the messaging from both sides was conciliatory. Still, this incident underscores the very tense relationship between India and China and the very tenuous situation along India and China's border, much of which is disputed territory claimed by both sides. On the line to help me understand the broader global implications of this crisis between India and China is Michael Kugelman. He is the Senior Associate for South Asia and the Asia Program Deputy Director at the Woodrow Wilson Center. We kick off discussing what exactly happened in Ladakh, the border region where the fight occurred. We then have a broader conversation about what this incident says about China, about India, and about the relationship between the two. I think you'll find this conversation very helpful in understanding this crisis and broader global trends. Incidentally, this incident between China and India is one that you recommended that I discuss on the podcast, so I am glad to bring it to you. And if you have suggestions of future episodes or topics I should cover or people I should interview, do reach out to me. You can do so using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. And the bonus episode I've posted this week for premium subscribers is my conversation with Ambassador Nicholas Burns. He is one of America's most decorated diplomats, and we have a long-ranging conversation about his career spanning from his early days as a diplomat in Mauritania in the 1980s all the way to the time he retired in 2008, having served as U.S. Ambassador to NATO and Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs. It's a great conversation and available to premium subscribers. To become a premium subscriber, go to patreon.com slash globaldispatches. You'll unlock that episode and dozens of other long-form interviews I've conducted with people who have had interesting careers in foreign policy and world affairs. Thank you. All right, now here is my conversation with Michael Kugelman of the Woodrow Wilson Center. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization 
hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. What do we know about um, that incident between Chinese and Indian soldiers from last month? I mean, like the reporting that I've seen on it makes it sound like a, almost like a West Side Story style, like rumble. What happened exactly or what do we know happened? Well, I like the West Side Story metaphor. That's great. Um, well, you know, I mean, it, yeah, it, they're talking about like sticks and rocks and exactly. like it's it posturing. It's just wild to me. I mean, in all honesty, it's... Um, it's very difficult to know exactly what's going on here. And that's been the case um, uh, whenever you've had border standoffs between India and China in recent years. And there have been quite a few. And, and that's really because, um, you know, we're talking about uh, very remote, inaccessible terrain. And, uh, you know, all we have to depend on are, A, uh, accounts from the Chinese media, which, of course, is totally state-run and generally propagandistic, the Indian media, which is generally based on unnamed sources, uh, and then every now and then you'll see some um, some satellite data that people will share on social media, but oftentimes that's very greeny. So, you know, it's sort of a he said, she said type thing. And so, you know, the Indian side uh, claims that there was a uh, provocation. Um, what type of provocation is unclear? We've heard that uh, some Chinese soldiers tried to harass uh, Indian soldiers um, by throwing things at them, by yelling at them, insulting them, that type of thing. Um, China has, has claimed that um, it was actually the Indians that, that's, that caused the provocation by um, walking onto um, to territory, onto uh, to, to Chinese um, territory. Yeah, my um, sharks and jets uh, analogy keeps becoming more real, it seems. Yeah, and and it's funny because there it is true that uh, you know in previous years when you've had uh, spats, um, you know frequently you know you you literally have Chinese and Indian soldiers standing apart from each other, um, you know where the where this very disputed border is, and like pushing each other and yelling at each other, and sometimes they actually get down on the ground and start brawling. It's sort of you know sort of like a uh, a playground fight uh, from middle school or high school. It's sort of it's sort of funny in a way, and obviously it's much better to have those types of provocations than for each side to be firing uh, across the border. I mean, you have not had that type of of violent uh, that that type of cross border fire in recent years. So, bottom line is we don't know exactly what happened, but um, I think what, what what is quite clear that there was some at some point in May there was a, a Chinese provocation in which you had. Um, some soldiers come into territory that India claims as its own. And some reporting claims that uh, a number of those Chinese soldiers have not actually left and that they're still there, camped out. And of course, uh, you know, there's there's variations in, in views as to whether that's true or not. And so there was this brawl. Uh, but then after the brawl, things seem to escalate very quickly, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's correct. I mean again, you there's sort of mixed information as to what exactly happened. But um I think what's concerned the Indians um is that uh you've had uh, reportedly a number of different incursions by Chinese forces. This is not just a case of some Chinese fo- uh, soldiers popping across the border and going back, but we're talking about multiple cases, uh, according to uh, according to reports. And so, you know, what's happened in, in recent days is there have been heavy mobilizations, have, have heavy troop mobilizations, new mobilizations 
along both sides of this um, of this so-called line of actual control, the uh, the name for the uh, the disport, disputed border between the two sides. So there have been heavy mobilizations. I mean, the good news is that that um, uh, you know over the weekend there were talks, there were high level talks between. Um, uh, military uh, commanders, Indian and Chinese military commanders, they met on the Chinese side of the line of control, and again, very little information as to what transpired in that in that in those talks and what the outcome was. But the messaging from both sides, both governments, was fairly conciliatory and positive, in which basically uh, they said that uh, the two sides pledged to to work things through with dialogue. Yeah, that, that's interesting. The reporting, again, that I've seen all had that same line. It was a conciliatory tone of talks between uh, two military leaders or the military leaders from both sides who met uh, over the weekend. And, and we're speaking on Monday, June 8th. Um, so I want to maybe like take a, a step back here. Can you uh, first, kind of locate this area geographically for listeners who are not aware of the region that we're talking about. And can you also explain how this corner of the world became disputed territory between China and India? Yeah, we well, could have a whole other discussion on that. Uh, so, you know, this is we're talking about an area in the Western Himalayas, uh, very. Uh, very remote, very inaccessible, with a lot of cold weather. Uh, quite frankly, and uh, you know, it's these are areas we're talking about areas that are very difficult to access for many parts of of the year. Uh, you know, the important thing about um, this region that I think could be helpful for listeners that may not be that familiar with it is that we're talking about the broader area of um, of, of Kashmir. Um, you know, you have a a region called Ladakh, which is basically the area where this um, where this dispute has taken place. It's an area that's um, controlled by, administered by India, but China um, claims a lot of it. And in fact, there's a there's a part of Ladakh known as Aksai Chin, which China controls, but uh, India has, has always had a claim to. And this is the eastern part of this broader Kashmir region. If you go a bit further to the west, you have an area called Jammu and Kashmir. Um, and, Which uh, I think more listeners will be familiar with yeah, because right. it's the site of you know dispute you know between Pakistan and India. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, you know that when we think about Kashmir, we tend to think about uh, India, Pakistan, and uh, you know, there's there's areas of Kashmir that are administered by by India, by Pakistan, and by China as well. Uh, that small part of Ladakh that I mentioned before. But, um, you know, in terms of how this all happened, it's, it's, it's really very, very complicated. But I think it, you know, as with so many um, cases with um, border disputes in the developing world, you know, it all goes down to borders that were arbitrarily drawn up by um, colonial powers many years, uh, many years ago. And that's basically what happened um, here, that uh, the British... Um, basically drew two demarcations to essentially try to divide or, or set up a border between India um, and, uh, and China. But uh, China was not happy with, uh, with them, uh, didn't agree to the border. And then as a result, it's, it's never been resolved. And this is one of the, the longest running border disputes. I should say it's one of the longest borders in the world. I mean, you're talking about a huge border what, 3,400 kilometers long between India and China, that has this demarcation that was put down by the uh, by uh, British colonial uh, figures in the late 1800s. But you know, the Chinese have not agreed to it, and the two sides disagree um, 
very robustly on where the line is actually um, demarcated. And, you know, the two sides did fight a war, as, as you and many of your listeners will, will know, uh, back in 1962. Um, so there was a war fought between these powers. And, uh, you know, that did not really change anything. Um, nothing really came of it. The border remained disputed. And uh, over the last few decades, quite frequently, there have been um, sort of provocations that take place. Uh, and following a similar model to what we've seen in this case, there's a provocation. It's very unclear who starts it and what the full story is. You have heavy mobilizations along each side of the border. And then you eventually have talks and then eventually things quiet, uh, things quiet down. And I imagine that will be the case with the current one as well. But, um, you know, since the, the root causes of the problem are there, since you still have these deep border disputes, uh, clearly it's, it's just a matter of time before you have a, another flare-up. And I should say that over the last few years, the Indian Prime Minister uh, Modi and the Indian President Xi, they have, they have personally put a ver- invested a lot of effort in trying to get the two countries to work through this border dispute. There were two you know, much ballyhooed summits um, informal summits between these two, one in 2017, one in 2018, one in India, one in China. And one of the main agenda points was to not negotiate the, the, the dispute, but to sort of set a set a, a parameters or platform for the two sides to figure out how to move beyond the dispute and in time how to cooperate on resolving it. But clearly, as we've seen in recent days, uh, you know, there's a long way to go in that regard. So is there anything particularly strategic about Ladakh? I mean, just the sense that I get, I mean, just the fact that you have unarmed or you have armed soldiers, but they're fighting with their fists suggests to me that it isn't particularly that strategic. Well, I mean, I think if you think of, if you think about this more broadly, um, you know, you're looking at uh, areas that are, You're talking about a neighborhood where you've got India, China, further afield Russia, and of course Pakistan uh, as well. It's very strategic for the countries that are that are there, um, for sure. But indeed, I think in part because of the poor weather conditions and just the very rough terrain that we're talking about in Ladakh, it's very difficult to have you know heavy mobilizations all the time and it, it would quite frankly would probably be very difficult to fight an actual war uh, because of because of weather reasons w- weather reasons but um you know it, it is strategic in the sense that you have a number of um large scale infrastructure projects that have been uh undertaken by both the Indians and the Chinese um in recent years uh, and the Indians in particular have, have last year concluded a major road a major border road that um, really allows India to project uh, its power better, uh, and again, in an inaccessible, difficult uh, space through this road in, in ways that China would, would find concerning, and for that matter, that Pakistan would find concerning. Um, so it's, I'm not saying that it's not strategic, um, but it, it certainly is important um, for, for the countries that are there. And I think that um, it's seen by many, certainly by the Chinese and the Indians, as a key uh, ground zero, so to speak, for what has become a fiercely deepening strategic rivalry between mm-hmm. India and China. So, so you you just teed up my next set of questions, which uh, was exactly that. What does this incident tell you about broader rivalry between China and India? I mean, is this sort of like a, a proxy 
kind of conflict that suggests something deeper about their geopolitical rivalry? Well, yeah, I, I, I think so. Uh, I mean, you look at China and India, of course, have been strategic competitors for a number of years. I mean, they are the two, uh, you know, two of the largest powers uh, in Asia that have been uh, competing for influence as well as markets, raw materials, things like that for a number of years as their economies continue to grow. But uh, I would argue that um, you know, you've had a major accelerant of the rivalry between India and China, and that is China's Belt and Road Initiative, which, as, as you know, is this huge um, global super project on the part of China is to build uh, you know, infrastructure everywhere to enable it to both uh, secure access to new markets and to spread its, its influence and uh, perhaps put it in a better position to, um, to strengthen its military power. Um, that's what many in the Pentagon think. And that's something that India has found very concerning um, for just because it, it doesn't like that. And the, the Belt and Road Initiative um, has extended uh, into a number of areas of South Asia that China considers to be its, that India considers to be its own backyard. One of these areas is Pakistan. Uh, China and Pakistan are very close. And you have something called the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor, which is basically the, it's the Pakistan component of the Belt and Road Initiative, but it's also the most operationalized element of BRI. So there's a lot going on there. And the last thing India wants is to have China, its strategic rival, um, building all these things, perhaps even the facilities for future um, uh, military structures, such as basing facilities uh, off, off the southern port of Gwadar in Pakistan, a country that, of course, is a, a deep, deep uh, enemy of, uh, of India's. So that's been a main trigger. Um, but what I think, you, what I would argue is that over the last few years, we've seen China try to test India in areas of its own of its own backyard. Um, so I think that's what happened in the most recent border dispute before this one between India and China, which was in 2017 in an area uh, not too far away called the Doklam Plateau. You know, that's an area where, you know, India's, India's sphere of influence, it has a lot of clout. Uh, it was, and it occurred, the spat occurred in a, what's known as a, a tri-junction area in which you have territory that is both Bhutanese, Indian, and Chinese. Uh, India is very close with Bhutan, and so I think you could argue that China was trying to test India there by engaging in a provocation, see how India would respond. There's also been simultaneously um, going on now a border spat between India and Nepal, and there are many in India that believe that Beijing has been trying to pressure the Nepalese to take a strong stand, a defiant stand against India. So you know, I think that what we're seeing here is China trying to push into South Asia as it carries out its Belt and Road Initiative. But, but that entails also trying to, to sort of pressure and test India to see how India might respond um, when, it's, when it's provoked. So I really do think that what we're seeing play out, playing out in Ladakh now, you, know, you, you cannot separate it from the broader India-China strategic rivalry. I mean, this is not just a case of two big powers squaring off along a disputed border. It goes much deeper than that. It gets into the, the complexities and the exigencies of this rapidly intensifying strategic rivalry. And what's the role of the United States in that sort of matrix of rivalry? I know the United States is you know, a, a backer of India. There's, you know, obviously close ties between the two countries. You know, you had this clumsy tweet from 
Trump that I think, you know, it's worth maybe shrugging off in which he said he would be glad to uh, negotiate and help mediate a a resolution to this conflict. Um, But in general, over the years, how what role has the United States played as in that geo strategic rivalry in the region? Yeah, well, it's interesting that generally the U.S. Uh, publicly, at least, is, is fairly quiet uh, when you have these disputes between India and China. Um, though, as the U.S. partnership with India has grown, and as its um, its own strategic rivalry competition with India has heated up, you know, we've seen the U.S. quietly provide um, assistance to to India in these cases. So, for example, in the 2017 Doklam Plateau standoff. You know, India was actually receiving intelligence uh, from from the U.S. government to help it pinpoint Chinese uh, military positions. So there's been that. But I think that things have been a little bit different this time um, in that you've had unusually um, robust public messaging from U.S. officials um, in regards to this to this standoff. Um, you know, for example, you had the top South Asia-focused diplomat uh, or official at the State Department, Ambassador Alice Wells, just before she retired last month, spoke publicly in which she said that, you know, we can we really have to watch out for these provocations from China. And what was quite interesting is that she linked what she described as Chinese provocations uh, along the border with India to Chinese provocations in the South China Sea. Um, and I think that was an expression of the Trump administration's um, you know, open hostility toward the uh, toward the Chinese, and a reflection of what some describe as a new Cold War. And I think that for the U.S., seeing Chinese provocations that target its Indian friend are, are just it's, it's not a good thing at all. And I think it it does amplify the importance of the U.S.-India relationship because that's a relationship that is driven in great part by shared concern about the rising power and the increasingly assertive and aggressive activities of China in the Indo-Pacific region. Well, well, I mean, do you buy the interpretation of the timing of this incident in Ladakh as, you know, this is another example of China as the world is distracted by coronavirus and other things, you know, using this moment to try to flex its muscles a little bit, just as it's, you know, doing in, say, Hong Kong with... um the new law that they've passed that, you know, this is just another example of China kind of trying to seize the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the question about timing is an interesting one. You know, why is in, is why is China doing what it's doing now? Um, there's several factors uh, at play here. I, I think one is what we discussed earlier, a very locally focused one. The fact that India has been building these uh, infrastructure projects, particularly this very large border road um, over the last year, over the last few years, it was completed um, last year. And, uh, you know, now that the road is completed, this basically gives India the ability to project power all the way from from Leh, which is the capital of Ladakh, all the way to the Karakoram Pass. Um, and that's that's concerning to China. So I think that's one factor that may have caused it to attack when it did. Secondly, uh, you know, you and your listeners will recall last August, India um, made a decision in which it decided to revoke the... Um, the autonomy of uh, of the Jammu and Kashmir region. When it did that, you know, we hear we think so much about how Pakistan was so unhappy. But what India also did is it took Ladakh uh, and it made that into a a union, a separate union territory of India. Uh, and that again is territory that China sees claims seizes as its own. So I think that China also wanted to send a message about its unhappiness about that move that India made. 
Um, but I think certainly the pandemic does play a role here. Uh, China has certainly received a huge amount of criticism uh, from the U.S. and from India and many other countries about its uh, perceived uh, sluggish and opaque uh, re- initial response to the pandemic, contributing to the, the fact that it spread so, so rapidly around the world. Uh, you could argue that India wanted to, uh, pardon me, that China wanted to showcase, telegraph, resolve, and strength to sort of prove that, well, hey, you know, we're not on the defensive. We may be getting hit hard for our how we're handling the pandemic, but we're still very much capable of throwing our weight around. Finally, I think the other factor to highlight here is, is the weather. Uh, again, I mean, it's not as easy to engage in these types of incursions and provocations um, at times of the year when it's just too cold and too snowy, but the weather has improved to the point where it's now possible to do these types of things. So, I think that's that's what it what it comes down to. Uh, I think that we're seeing, broadly speaking, that Chinese foreign policy has become increasingly assertive and, and, and aggressive. You know, the, the some of the uh, what it's been uh, doing in Hong Kong with coming out with that new internal security law. It's been um, uh, making some very uh, bombastic comments about Taiwan, and of course, it's been engaging in provocations in the South China Sea throughout the pandemic. So, in that regard, I think that. What it's been doing along the line of actual control of India fits right in with its with its current playbook. It's this it's this idea not just to you know to to show that it's that it's uh, powerful so to speak, but also to showcase strength and resolve. And that uh, even if it's getting hit hard for its handling of the pandemic, you know it's still it's still capable of doing a lot of damage. So lastly, I mean, in the coming weeks and months, uh, what will you be looking? toward or indicators that you'll be looking towards that will suggest to you how this dispute will will shake out. I mean, we're speaking a day after, as we said, there's conciliatory messaging from both sides about this particular incident. Is there anything over the coming weeks and months that you'll be looking towards to suggest to you, you know, how this will play out or how this might play out? Well, I would look for the messaging from the from the governments. Um, I think that India's government has a strong interest in generally keeping quiet and not offering all that many uh, uh, bellicose uh, statements just because, you know, India is the the less powerful of the two. And it doesn't want to risk getting into a position where there's much more escalation and has to worry about uh, the risk of a conflict. But, uh, you know, look at I, I'm going to be trying to get a sense of um, the, the Chinese statements coming from their from their government, from their state run media. Um because during the Doklam Plateau standoff, uh, there was a fair amount of um, uh, robust messaging from the from the, the Chinese government, which was unusual for these types of standoffs. Um, in this case, uh, it's been fairly quiet. So it's been fairly conciliatory. There were some interesting uh, um, videos that were shared by uh, one of the uh, the Chinese um, state outlets. I think it was Global Global Times. I think one of them appeared to show, you know, Chinese um, helicopters flying over near Indian territory. Uh, so, so there was that. But I think if once we start seeing the Chinese rhetoric sort of winding down or even getting even more quiet than it had been, that's when I think we could start to see things um, quiet down. But, but I, I do worry um, about the future because, as I said earlier, nothing has been done to address the border dispute. I think that you know, the best you, that you can hope that will happen from these talks that have happened and that will continue to happen is some sort of reversion to uh, status quo ante, where any Chinese soldiers that are on the Indian side will go back. 
any new mobilizations of troops will will end. But that doesn't resolve the the core issue at play, and that's the border disputes. So I think it really could be just a matter of time. And I think that the, the India-China rivalry will only intensify, especially as the U.S.-India relationship continues to grow. Um, and, you know, again, China is taking a lot of hits um, in terms of its reputation overseas so because of the pandemic. And I think as the India-China rivalry intensifies, as the Belt and Road Initiative continues to be built out, uh, I think that raises the possibility of, of more and perhaps more intense standoffs between between the two and you just have to hope that you know it won't escalate to the point where you have to worry about some type of limited conflict that at the end of the day neither india nor china wants to see happen uh well michael it's always good to chat with you thank you so much thank you it was my pleasure all right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Michael Kugelman. And as I said at the outset, this episode came to me from your recommendations. So uh, please do send me your thoughts and recommendations. You know, I do this podcast for you. So it's important for me to understand and learn what you were interested in listening about. So thank you. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.